Oh, come, Holy Spirit. Come rushing into this place. Come flooding into this place. Fill us and surround us, Spirit, with all of your compassion and all of your love and all of your peace and all of your strength. Fill us full because, God, we've come here needing some kind of word from you. And we know that if we open ourselves up in body and mind and spirit, that we will not leave here disappointed. So God, may the words of our mouths and may the meditations of our hearts find acceptance in your sight. God, our rock and our redeemer. Speak through me or speak in spite of me to these, your people. We pray this in your name and we all said together, Amen. Amen. So, dear friends, um, right at the top here, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Lauren and I moved into a new house this week, which is wonderful, but it also meant that my sermon prep time was a little cut short, which normally would be fine, but here I have this passage that's unintelligible at the first reading. (laughs) Uh, And not only that, but uh, our cat decided to make his displeasure with his new living arrangements known to us at 3.30 this morning. So I am, I'm just going to be honest with you, I didn't have the time to refine this as much as I usually do when I preach. So stick with me. We're going to do this. And I forgot to say this earlier. You've noticed that Pastor Becky isn't, isn't here. The last time she was not here, she and her family had COVID. That's not true this time. She's okay. She is chaperoning her son's uh, ba- high school band trip to Florida, to Disney World. So okay is a relative term there. I, I would rather be here rather than chaperoning a high school band trip, but that's fine. But that's where she is. Uh, that's, that's where she is now. But anyway... I'm going to start with a Star Wars illustration. Surprise, surprise. Um, Empire Strikes Back. That's the second movie that was released. I think it was released somewhere around 1980, somewhere around that. Um, that's the one that starts out on the snowy planet Hoth. Right, right? We remember that, the big, um, the big, uh, the big imperial walkers, the... Are the, the, and the whole name doesn't really matter. Anyway, um, starts there. <laughs> that's where in the movie where Luke Skywalker finds out that Darth Vader is his father. And, and most of all, that's where we meet the, this ancient Jedi Master, Yoda. Right? So Luke Skywalker, um, we're familiar with that movie? It doesn't matter if we're familiar with it. That's, that's what I'm using. <laughs> but uh, so Luke Skywalker, he goes to find Master Yoda on the, on the planet Dagobah. And he finds him, and Yoda starts to teach this kid, Luke Skywalker, how to be a Jedi, starts to teach him the ways of the Force. And he's trying to explain this to Luke, and he has this famous saying that he says, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Now, that's, that's part of a longer speech that he makes that it's not just a throwaway line. But I think just that piece points to a, dua, uh, a dualism that still exists with us today that's just kind of found its way into the fabric of Western society, Western Christianity. And that's this divide. Yoda says, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. And when he says crude matter, he taps Luke on the chest, meaning this physical body is the crude matter here. But luminous being, that's talking about this deeper spiritual reality within us, greater than this simple crude matter. 
And while there's some deep truth and some good news with that, it again implies this deep divide, big word of dualism, whatever, this deep divide between spiritual and physical reality that we've probably become familiar with. It implies that the spiritual is more important and better than the physical and physical bodies and physical reality doesn't really matter. Doesn't quite say that all, but that's kind of the, the where, where you can go from there. And I say all of that because the reading before us from 1 Corinthians has often been used to justify that exact understanding. That physical bodies are bad. That physical world is bad. The spiritual is what matters. The physical world doesn't matter. We're just here waiting for a heavenly evacuation out of here. We've probably heard this interpretation. Maybe we've held that interpretation ourselves. I'm including myself in that. But I think that's a big problem. But before we get to that, this, is, this, this passage has been, like I said, it's been used to justify that, but it's within this really confusing reading here. It's really, it's hard to read anything that Paul wrote because Paul was writing to these specific churches addressing these specific concerns and specific questions raised by specific people who he knew and they knew him, right? So there's a relationship there. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like we're reading uh, emails or texts or messages from one person to another person, but we're only reading this side of the conversation. We don't see this side of the conversation, So we're only getting one side of this. We don't know the occasioning event or question or happening that made Paul write this perplexing passage here. Now, Pastor Becky, she's talked about the Corinthian church over the last several weeks. She's given us a really good idea of what Paul might have been addressing here and what scholars can kind of deduce from all of this. But it's still a really confusing passage. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a verbal processor. If you've caught me in a, kind, of a, kind of an unguarded moment where I'm trying to think through things, you have maybe have seen this. I, got, I have to talk things out for myself. I mean, it got me into trouble in seminary a couple times in smaller classes where everything was discussion-based, not really lecture-based. The, the, the professor would start out class with a question meant to start the discussion off where they wanted it to go. So then I would raise my hand because I have, of course, did the reading. I didn't sleep any, but I did all the reading for that class. So I would start answering that question and I would just start kind of spinning my tires here, trying to figure all of these big ideas and these big concepts and these deep truths that I was really wrestling with in real time. So I was trying to figure it out for myself and I would just keep talking and talking and talking. And then I would just kind of verbally back myself into this corner and I would finally hear myself and say, I don't agree with what I just said. (laughs) So I'm just going to stop talking here. (laughs) My professors started to recognize that, so they would just kind of say, all right, Andy's got to do his thing. He'll stop in about five minutes, and then we'll pick up the discussion from there. But that's how Paul reads right here because this is right at the very beginning of things where all of this is new. Now, it's coming out of the Jewish worldview, the Jewish religion that that they are very familiar with, so it's not like it's just a brand new idea that comes out of nothing, but Paul is still trying to figure all of this stuff out for himself while he's trying to lead this church into this new thing. So Paul is processing this while he's got to lead the church in this new way. So, we get, so we're piecing out what Paul is saying when Paul might not be sure exactly what he is saying. 
But it's still this very, very important reading here because he's addressing these very specific questions that were obviously very important to him and to the church in Corinth. So last week, if you remember that, last week Paul was talking to people who denied the reality of the resurrection. That was, it seems like that was the concern that he was addressing then. There were some people who denied the reality of any bodily resurrection. And Paul said, if Jesus didn't really rise, from, rise bodily from the dead, if that didn't happen, then we're wasting our time. This new community that we're building here is built on a lie. So we might as well go home and forget about it. So this week, it reads like some people have already heard that argument. So there are some people asking the question over here, and then there are some other people who have heard that argument before, and they say, okay, fine, fine, the resurrection exists, it's a thing, that's fine, okay, but how does it happen? How does it work? And then Paul launches in this whole thing about the different kinds of bodies going into the ground and raising up something different here. Now back then, again, I keep saying this, Paul was addressing these specific concerns and questions and community dynamics that lay behind these questions that made them far more than just academic concerns. But we don't really know what those were, so right now it seems like we're left with this really heady, confusing passage, so we have to ask with this text and with every other biblical text, how do we bring it down to the earth? What, how do we put flesh on this teaching here? And I think the place that we can start is to address um, uh, how this and other similar passages have really been misused. That dualism we talked about at the beginning, the deep divide between the physical and the spiritual. The spiritual is what matters. Forget about the physical, hate the physical body, and the rest of the physical world. Pin all your hopes to this heavenly evacuation away from this broken, this awful world. That's rooted in, I think, a misinterpretation of this and other similar passages. And again, that's not just this innocuous idea that only interests scholars, that's only an academic idea. This has real-world consequences here. For example, more and more scientists, we've heard these, more and more scientists have been sounding the alarm about global climate change really hitting a major crisis point. And looking back through how we got through here, it all kind of started at the Industrial Revolution. And we're, we're, we're finding out, we know that many of the countries who led the Industrial Revolution and still today are leading in, uh, leading in greenhouse gases and, and uh, damage to the environment and all of that stuff that leads to it. Many of those countries, including the U.S., identify as Christian. And in the West, in Western Christianity, that means this dualism between the physical and the spiritual is such a central point in that. That the spiritual matters, the physical doesn't. And if that is the central point in part of a country's identity, not just its religious life, but how it's been formed, how its identity has been formed, if that's where it is, then why worry about what effect our actions, the actions of corporations, all of that, why worry about that if we're just waiting for a, for a heavenly evacuation from this broken world? Why worry about what effect our actions, our decisions have on this world? This has real-life consequences here. So I think Paul would be rather upset if he knew that this is how, we've ta- how many of us have taken his words. Because I don't think that's what he's saying. 
I don't think that's what he said. Some of this dualism has its grounding in platonic thought, but that's not where I think Paul was coming from because there's no, here, there's no splitting the world into bad physical and good spiritual. What Paul was saying, what I think Paul was saying, is that we are being transformed. We are being transformed in this world, in this body, in this physicality, bit by bit by bit into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. By the grace of God, we are growing more and more into who we truly are as beloved children of God in this body, in this physical world, intersecting with the spiritual. Now, the seed metaphor that Paul uses, um, I love it. It, just, it holds up today. I'm not super familiar or really familiar at all with the science of botany, but I, I know the seed that you put into the ground, or the bulb that Aaron was talking about. What you put into the ground, it doesn't look like anything. Like Aaron said, the bulbs don't look like anything. But they hold within it, within them, all of the potential for the flower or the tree or whatever plant is going to burst forth from them. They don't look like anything, but they hold within them all the potential for what's going to burst forth, if it's planted, if it's taken care of. So that seed, that ball, whatever is planted in the ground, that's not bad. Paul talks about the physical being buried and the spiritual being raised. At least that's what, how we've taken it. But what's buried is not bad. It's just not complete yet. So who we are now, who each one of us is now, start here. We are enough. We are beloved children of God just as we are now. And I think we all have a sense that we are in some way not totally whole, not totally integrated, not totally healed, not totally connected with God and with other humans, other image bearers. We are beloved children of God and proclaimed to be good now. And also, God has more in store for us. We are currently, right now, as we follow Jesus, we are being transformed bit by bit by bit into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ in this world, in this physicality. And at the same time, Paul points ahead to that day when the reign of God comes to earth as it is in heaven. And we will be transformed from people made of dust, good dust, blessed dust, but transformed from people made of dust into heavenly people. Now, he's not exactly clear on what that means because we can't really go beyond metaphor here. But we can know that we are being transformed bit by bit and we will be transformed fully into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ on that day. A note on the translation might help us here. Um, I'm going to nerd out here for a minute, so again, bear with me. Uh, Verse 44 Verse 44, the translation I read says, it's a physical body when it's put into the ground. It's raised a spiritual body. 
if there's a physical body, there's also a spiritual body. So it seems like there's, we, can, we, we can see how we get to this divide here that Paul's talking about. But I, I, think, um, I think this might be a, not just a misinterpretation, but a mistranslation here. So there, there are other interpretations, other translations. Scholars have kept working on these texts. So another translation that we find in the Jerusalem Bible, I think is a little better here. There it says, when it is sown... It embodies the soul. And when it is raised, it embodies the spirit. If the soul has its own embodiment, so the spirit has its own embodiment. Now, that doesn't really clear up anything because we often use soul and spirit interchangeably, but the Greek roots underneath there have two distinct and different meanings. Right, so soul is the translation for the Greek word suke. And we could also say creatureliness, creatureliness, the life force that makes us human. Our soul is what makes us part of creation, part of earth, mortal, people of the dust. It's not bad, it's just part of being human and part of the good created order that God brought forth at the beginning. But then spirit, on the other hand, Greek word underneath that is pneuma, and we could also call this the divine spark. The image of God in which we were created. The treasure that lives in this vessel from the earth. So right now, we are embodied souls living in our creatureliness, our fleshly, mortal nature that God created and called good. And we also have this divine spark within us. And as we grow into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ, we fan that divine spark to life within us through our outer lives, our actions, our decisions, our practices. But on that day, at the end of all things and the beginning of the next thing, as Paul tells us, we will be raised in glory. We will be transformed into embodied spirits. The divine spark that's always within us becoming a bonfire in our hearts. As we mirror the God who gives us life. As we are transformed fully into the image and the likeness of Christ. As we are finally put back together. Finally healed. Finally integrated. Finally connected. And finally ourselves. Now, I think that's good news. Like I said, um, didn't have as much time to refine this. Because I know this is still a very heady, a very intellectual idea, because we're in an area of church doctrine called the doctrine of bodily resurrection. And it has just confounded theologians and scholars and pastors and church leaders for centuries because of this unintelligible passage of Paul. So we're given the same work that Paul had when he wrote this perplexing note to the Corinthians here. These, these are big ideas, these are cool ideas, they're important ideas, but how do we bring them down to earth? How do we put flesh on them? We are being and we will be transformed into the image and the likeness of Jesus Christ. So now God calls us to die to that which is holding us back, that we might build the kingdom of God now. 
We are good, we are beloved as we are now, and yet we are not whole yet. And yet God is not finished with us yet, so may we die to that which is holding us back. As sermon started this week, we had this cool illustration that came up from one of the participants there. Um, we talked about this image of the divine spark within us, and that's cool and everything, but we had a new image, one that someone else brought up, about a, a I never heard it before, it's a, it's a divine brick that each one of us has inside of us. And we can use that brick constructively, destructively, or just not at all. So destructively, we could take this divine brick and throw it around breaking windows and hurting people. We can also just take it and put it on a shelf in our prayer closet and only see it for 20, 30 minutes a day, whatever our prayer practices look like. Or we could use it constructively. We can bring it together with other humans, other image bearers, our siblings in Christ, because we each have this divine brick in us. And what if we all brought them together to start building something? The kingdom of God here on earth. As we are raised in glory, as we are transformed by the grace of God into the image and the likeness of Christ, we use that brick within us to build the kingdom of God. We fan that divine spark in us into a flame and we bring it into the presence of our siblings in Christ, each with their own flame, to build this bonfire that gives light and warmth and comfort to the world around us. So if that's our calling, what do we need to die to in order to bring our brick together with the other children of God? What idols do we need to put down? What impulses or tendencies within us do we need to examine? What unacknowledged harm have we done or caused? And how can we maybe repair it? How can we bring our brick to the construction of the kingdom of God? How can we bring our divine spark to the bonfire that God is kindling? Let's pray, friends. God, we give you thanks for the divine spark that you've placed in each of us, this divine brick that you've given each of us, this potential that you've placed within each one of us. We give you thanks for all the work that you've already done within us and around us. And we pray for the discernment, the heart, the mind, whatever we need, that we might see what we need to die to so that we might truly be raised in glory, so that we might grow into who you would transform us into, who you would have us be, O oh God. It's in your name we pray and we all sit together. Amen.